It's the spooky time of season, so of course, uh, here at Death Piles and Taxes, we had to go back to uh, to our favorite Halloween guest, and that would be Mr. Jim Harold. Jim, how are you doing? I'm doing well. You know, it's a busy time of year, but uh, I'm always glad to talk about spooky stuff and podcasting, the business of podcasting, because as much as I love spooky stuff, I love podcasting just as much, and, and just always fun to talk shop and and maybe slip in a spooky story here or there. No, I don't know if you remember last time we talked, but Adam doesn't necessarily like the spooky uh, all that much, and uh, it kind of get makes him a little nervous. So we're gonna try <laughs> to uh, ease him into this one. Yeah, he's still here. He's still he's still with us. So, um, Adam, uh, you want anything to say to Jim? Well, Jim, I, and I don't know if you, I grew up in Pahrump, Nevada. Oh yes, the home of the man himself, Art Bell. I, and that was going to be one of my questions. When do you remember listening to him the first time or kind of comprehending what his show was? Well, uh, in the 90s, probably the mid to late 90s. I, I know I listened to it when the whole weird Heaven's Gate thing happened because he did shows on that with the uh, Marshall Applewhite and the people who thought the spaceship was going to take them. And unfortunately, it kind of was a cult I remember him covering that, and I think that was in 96. So I know I was listening in 96, maybe a little bit before then. But I always found uh, Art Bell fascinating. And the funny thing about him was, I'm like, how does he believe in all this different stuff? Because it doesn't seem like it all fits. Uh, But what I came to understand over the years doing my own show, which pales in comparison to what he did, he was a legend and is a legend. But... uh, I thought you don't necessarily have to believe in each and every theory that's out there. You're just bringing the theory to the people to let them decide for themselves. But uh, really, that's when you said Perump, that means only one thing to me, and that is the great, uh, late great Art Bell. Well, that's, uh, I, I, you know, I grew up in that area, um, knew exactly where he was, went to uh, school with one of his uh, nephews. So for those of you who don't know, Art Bell is, he, I would say he's probably one of the original oh, podcasters yeah. with, you know, Rush Limbaugh. I mean, he had a long, uh, you know, long format show where people would call in late nights about uh, the paranormal. Yeah, he uh, I mean, being a great broadcaster as he was in radio. I mean, you know, at that time when he started podcasting, wasn't around and he had been doing it uh, for years before I ever listened. But uh he became nationally syndicated, the number one overnight show. And uh, really, anybody who does this now, any paranormal podcaster out there, really owes a debt of gratitude to, to Art. He's kind of like, for those of your audience who are a little older, he's like, he is to paranormal shows what Johnny Carson is to talk shows. He was the, I mean, there are people who did it before, like Long John Nebel at WOR in New York, who did some shows on it, like in the 60s and 70s and different things. Really, 
uh, art honed it into an art form, no pun intended, and <laughs> he, he, he really figured out what people wanted to hear, and he delivered night after night after night. So have you ever been to Pahrump, Nevada? I have not been to Pahrump, Nevada. I wish I had that voice that that coast-to-coast -coast AM announcer <laughs> had, you know. And now from the kingdom of Nye. But uh, no, I haven't. But that would actually be, you know what? If I were, I, mean, I don't know if I would like get on a plane and go there now as like a, pilgr a pilgrimage. But if I were passing through the area, I'd love to stop. I know there's a plaque there somewhere for him. And I'd love to tip my cap to him uh, because, uh, really, he I, I think we all owe him a, a debt of gratitude. Well, like I said, ne next time you uh, get out to Las Vegas, because you'll never be passing through, Perump. That's not a place you pass through. Um, next time you, uh, you know, get to Las Vegas, we're just a little out there. You you let us know. I I don't I would uh, love I've taken a couple friends out there on on some uh, some scenic tours, different things. Um, not going to lie. Pahrump's a, an interesting, weird, kind of vibey place that I grew up in, and uh, it's a lot of reason. It's a good place to be from, let me just say that. Cool. And and that's perfect. You said it's vibey. It's kind of weird. That was perfect for our show. Yeah. Now, <clears throat> Jim, um, we have a friend group text. I don't know if you have uh, any of these with with friends or family. I'm sure you do. Yes, yes. But we have, we have kind of a, uh, a group of friends that were pretty much friends through high school, um, and we kind of keep in touch that way. And sometimes it gets a little, uh, you know, might get a little more, uh, uh, PG 13 to R rated. And sometimes it's just pretty calm. It just depends what's going on with gotcha. life. Uh, but recently what we've gotten into is conspiracy theories and who believes in what now, uh, as a man that's heard a lot of tales in your day, is there a favorite conspiracy theory that you have? Not necessarily that you believe. Uh, but just your favorite conspiracy theory out there. I'll actually give you one I believe. Okay. I believe that JFK was uh, not assassinated by a lone gunman, and I think there was a conspiracy, and I think that people in the government knew what was going on. Now, whether they had a hand in it, I don't know, but I think that there's just too s much smoke for there not to be fire. And... Uh, I mean, if you study it, there's thing after thing that after thing that points to the idea that there was a conspiracy to kill President Kennedy. And uh, yeah, because I, I kind of, you know, I got I was really interested in conspiracy theories for a long time. And then I frankly, I got away from it because it started to take a really kind of nasty, dark turn. And um, I kind of got away from them because uh, it, it just went into areas I wasn't interested in, in going into. <laughs> But uh, if you talk about something I think is perfectly plausible that uh, could have been a conspiracy and has a very good chance of being a conspiracy was the Kennedy assassination. For example, the 1978 uh, House Select Committee on Assassinations, I believe they actually said it was likely a conspiracy. So, I mean, it's not just you know, kind of whacked out people like saying, oh, yeah, somebody shot Kennedy. I mean, there's pretty good reason to believe that there was a lot more to that. Now, there are a lot of reasons to cover something like that up. Let's say that was a foreign power. You know, at that time, we're on a hair trigger with the Soviet Union. Maybe if Cuba's behind it or the Soviet Union's behind it, maybe you cover that up. If the mob's behind it, 
obvious reasons to cover that up. If somebody directly in the government is involved, reasons do they cover that up? So I don't know who did it. Uh, but uh, although I think Oswald, it makes sense, had a hand in it, uh, that he was a player. I don't think he was the only player. I like it, Jim. I like it. Uh, the, the Lee Harvey uh, may or may not have done it is always going to be something. I, I don't know. Uh, even when we get to the part where they're going to open the files and stuff, everything's redacted. I don't think they ever will open the files. I mean, they were supposed out. to open the files a couple of years ago, right? And then what came out was kind of like a trickle, it seemed like, and lots of stuff was redacted. I don't think we'll ever know, ever, really. I think that there's people who want to hide it for whatever reason, and there's still people alive who want to hide it. And you would think it's been 60 years. Uh, next year will be 60 years. And you would think nobody would care at this point. And, and there, uh, here's a weird thing. There's a great book by Richard Belzer, the comedian. I interviewed him on it. And it's called Hit List. And it, it it's like a list of, I think, 50 people or more who uh, were connected to the Kennedy assassination and were dead within five years. And it's it goes to celebrities. You get that book, Hit List, and you're just like, oh, my God. And, and some <laughs> of the people, it's a coincidence, right? You know, a certain percentage of people die. But all these people, they calculated, like some mathematician, these this many people would die connected to an event. It was something like one in a million or something. Seemed like there was a reason they were uh, dying conveniently. <laughs> well, uh, like I said, that's kind of, uh, I know a lot of that is, you know, uh, you know, good topics to talk about. So getting into a little more of you kind of what you do, your, your day-to-day, the business portion. That's a lot what we deal with. We deal with people that are... Uh, you know, continually learning more. Um, I don't know. It's, it's a lot fun to work for yourself. I mean, I do. At what point in your career did you kind of say, you know what? Uh, you, you were able to convince your wife or your wife helped you to say, let's just go full out, quit my day job and do podcasting. Well, I'll go a little bit before that. So I started in 2005 but I kind of dabbled, like I put out a show and then I wouldn't put out a show and then I put out a show and I wouldn't put out a show. But it, I, it, the, the Paranormal podcast was continuously released, but there would be gaps. And, uh, you know, you get busy. I had some different jobs and I had this one job with a big company, a recognizable name. And I thought this is going to be the job. And I got into the job for about three months and I'm like, this is a good job. I'm appreciative of the job. This is not going to be the job. I know I remember the moment, the the moment that really led to all of this. I was sitting at a T-ball game and I was, I hate to admit it, I was multitasking. I was listening to a podcast in 2008. (laughs) It was uh, Dan Carlin's Hardcore History. And he's still a great, great podcaster, one of the best to ever do it. Hall of Fame podcaster. So he had a spot for Audible. And I thought to myself, here I am at this job. I'm beating my head against the wall. And people are emailing me like every week, when's the next episode coming? When's the next episode coming? And here's somebody who's doing it and obviously earning some income. Why don't I get more serious about this? So I told my wife, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to start putting out a show every single week. I'm never going to miss. I'm going to do it for six months. I'm going to see what happens. And like the sixth month, and it was like a sign from the universe, I got... Uh, a podcast uh, ad company reached out to me and wanted to place advertising for Audible. 
I'm like, Ooh. there's your sign to, <laughs> you know, that old thing. There's your sign. Uh, well, that was my sign. So I started. And then um, in February 2011, I had built up enough of a following. So I started a plus club, which gets into the business side of it. And I thought, you know, let's see how this is received. And that day, it was a Sunday. I'll never forget it. It was in February of 2011. I launched it. And I believe the first day I got 200 members. Wow. And and nobody was doing that back then. That was very, yeah. I was doing it with WordPress and plugins and kind of kludge together, but it worked. And I said, okay, now I've got something. And I continued to work, continued to expand. The Plus Club continued to expand. Advertising continued to expand. And in 2011, I told my wife, I said, you know, I think it's time to, you know, kind of, you know what, or get off the pot with this. And, <laughs> and, uh, can we give it a go full time? And she said, yeah. And, and it wasn't like I said that one day and I went full time the next, it took about three or four months. I had a plan and I got secured the, the, the medical insurance for the family, figured out how I was going to do everything. I'd already done my LLC the, the end of the previous year. Cause I kind of had this in mind. And uh, June of 2012, I went full-time, and just uh, a couple months ago here, uh, four months now already, celebrated my uh, 10th anniversary of full-time podcasting. And I'm very grateful to my audience and my family. That's awesome. And and so if people are hearing that and understanding, um, it sounds like Jim's overnight success took about seven or eight years to get to that point. Yeah, and even at that, we were kind of – you know, it was kind of hand to mouth. I mean, I made payroll, but just barely a number of times. I mean, now it's a little more comfortable. I wouldn't say it's comfortable. I mean, there's always a chance of a downturn or ad downturn or plus club downturn or whatever it might be. Uh, but I feel relatively confident in keeping the lights on as long as I maintain my health and people seem to like the product. So I've been very blessed with a great audience and a great family who supports me. And, uh, but it's not, I mean, there are people, you know, there's people who have launched podcast a year or two ago that have like blown the doors off of me, but that is, you know, if I'm the top 2%, which I probably am, that's the top one tenth of a percent. So people have to realize if they're going to do this with an eye to even making money, let alone going full time, it's going to take time unless you have a base of some kind of existing celebrity or notoriety in your field. You know, for example, if you're the world's best known authority on bottle cap collecting, then, you know, you could start a podcast and send something out to your email newsletter and you're going to have the world's top uh, pop cap podcast. But if you're looking for a little bit broader audience and you're starting from ground zero, it can it be done? Absolutely, it can be done. Is it going to take a little time? Probably, yes, unless you have some notoriety in your field already. Now, back when you started, you said uh, Audible um, was your first advertiser. Uh, going from that point now, I'm sure it's a lot easier to get people on board uh, than then. Uh, did you have to go out and sell and pitch to different companies to get uh, more advertisers? Or, well, here's or the weird thing. Here's the weird thing. I came from an ad sales background. So you would think I would have been selling my ads from day one. No, I actually 
uh, well, A, I kind of cursed the whole time I sold ads. I'm kind of like, I want to be in front of the mic because that's what I went to school for. But I wasn't. Uh, but anyway, for probably the first 13, 14, probably really the last first 14 years of doing this and the first six, seven years of uh, podcasting full time, I had third parties selling my ads. And there were some good companies I worked with, so I don't want to in any way detract from them. My wife the whole time told me, why don't you sell your own ads? And I said, well, I don't know that these big agencies will talk to me, blah, 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 da, 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 da. And uh, something happened where I had a disagreement with one of the companies. I still think they're a good company. I just, I had a disagreement with an individual, let's say. And and I'll tell you that story offline and uh, <laughs> not for air. But the point being, I said, you know what? I'm going to do it myself. Best thing I ever did. Um, when you work with a third party, obviously, they're going to want to cut. Um, they may not put the pricing right where you think it should be. I control all that now. Also, it's kind of like walking on a high wire without a net. If you don't sell the ads, you've got nobody else to blame. But all in all, it's been one of the best things I did for my business. And and I'm a very uncommon podcaster in that I can do the on-air, the technical, and I can do that. But that leads to a little bit of lack of ability to delegate. And that's something I'm like right now actively working on. I'm bringing on more editors to help me with the audio shows. I'm trying to push into video more. I'm bringing on video editor to help with that. The idea is, is that can I do all of these functions? Yes, but if I want to grow and not kill myself, I need to learn to delegate a little bit better. And that's hard for a solopreneur to do. It really is. Yeah, I totally agree with you. Uh, I've got, you know, several clients that I deal with that are, you know, kind of going through the same growing phase. I've got another business that I have, and and I'll share this with you. If you're not doing anything on TikTok, that was the craziest, coolest thing we've ever done. I think in the last three years, we've had over 100, 105 million views on our videos. Wow. And it's just created this kind of function of, you know, now we're speaking at different events. We're sharing the stories about kind of what we do. And it was just one of those uh, things. And You've got the spooky, scary stuff. So if you haven't done it, find you, you know, obviously you got to try it out yourself because you're going to do it best, but find you a young intern editor that goes into that area. Um, that's one thing I've learned. And Derek and I is you got to try new things in, in different areas that you yourself may not have thought of, but there's a lot of success and a lot of opportunities out there. Yeah. Well, TikTok, I'm a little leery of, but I I have actually, so funny you mentioned that, because the other day I'm like, I really got to do this. Everybody else is doing because I'm pretty, I mean, we have uh, a strong Facebook community of not millions, but 23,000 people who are members of our virtual campfire. I have quite a few followers on Twitter and so forth. But TikTok, you know, it is a, a major, major player these days, particularly when you want to make sure you're, you know, it's not just hitting my generation, but you're hitting younger generations as well. So it may be something that we have to move into for sure. I was as leery as you were and 110 million views later, I'm not leery. <laughs> <laughs> Good point. Good point. 
Now, uh, now, how many shows are you currently uh, producing? Oh, okay. Well, uh, let me count because it's quite a few. See, I have my free shows and then I have my plus shows. So uh, I'll just try to go through the litany and, and explain what we're doing these days. Uh, first of all, we have Jim Harold's Campfire, which is my most popular show. That is basically real people coming on, telling their true stories of the strange ghosts, UFOs, cryptids, all of it. Then we have the Paranormal Podcast, which is my first show I started, still continuing interviews with authors and experts. Then I just started uh, a few months ago a new show with my wife called You Won't Believe What Happened to Me. Just crazy things have happened to people, not necessarily paranormal. Unpleasant Dreams, my daughter does a show for us now, and it's talking about famous cases of the strange. And then I have a show, a uh, free show I'm going to uh, restart here in the next month because I don't have enough, called Jim Harold's Crime Scene. I did 192 episodes of that. That's on True Crime and going to be and going to be relaunching that uh, here in the next month or two. Then we have a bunch of plus shows. We have UFO Encounters, interviews about UFOs. Ghost Insight, interviews about ghosts. We have uh, Cryptid Report, interviews about cryptids. We have The Other Side, which is kind of like more new agey kind of stuff. And then Ancient Mysteries on the air. So I lost count of how many that is, but that's how many we're doing. And those are all except for Crime Scene, which is going to be an active production in the next month or two. That's going to be an active uh, production. And on the business side, what I did, what really helped the Plus Club was, I said on my most popular shows, the Paranormal Podcast and Campfire, that you get the most recent 13 episodes free. But if you want that back catalog, then you've got to join the Plus Club. And that's, you know, if you join the Plus Club today, my Plus Club, you get access to over 2,300 episodes you can't get if you're not a member. Now, there's always free content, and every time I put out a campfire, full episode, that is totally free. Same with the Paranormal Podcast. But after 13 weeks, it joins the the crew there in the uh, back catalog. So the idea is always have something free. Uh, most people are going to listen for free and never subscribe. But if you're a super fan, you're really into it, it's there, and that way... It helps support the shows and what we do, and you still get the content. And, hey, if it's not for you, you can't afford it, but you like listening to free shows, you're welcome to because we've got ads, and that helps support us as well. So we try to give something for everybody while still having a, a viable business. Well, I'm I'm a big fan of uh, You Can't Believe What Happened to Me. I think Adam should give that a try where he doesn't like the spooky as much. Uh, there's just some crazy stories over there. My favorite one. Uh, to date is the the machete uh, story that came out. Uh, oh my gosh, the guy who went to Mexico and uh, almost ended up not coming back. Yes. Now, now my question um, is: You've had other shows. Where where's your cutoff point to where you say, okay, uh, I'm not going to continue this show and and I'm going to start another show? Or, or where's where's that that point of uh, when do you know it's time to cut bait and, and uh, try another spot in the pond? I like to give a show uh, a year. Um, now, Crime Scene, for example, I really screwed up on that one. That's probably my biggest mistake with that show. Because when I started it in 2011, it was before Serial, the big crime podcast. And it's not that style show. It's not dramatic. It's an interview with authors. But I've had Pulitzer Prize winners on there, New York Times bestsellers, really interesting people talking about interesting cases. But I had it behind the paywall. 
which was a major mistake. And uh, I brought it out of the paywall in 2018, and it didn't do too much, but I didn't promote it enough either. So after about three years, I always enjoyed doing that show, and I thought I did a pretty good job at it. I've decided to bring it back and, you know, really start putting some marketing behind it and things. But that's a lesson, too. I think you can learn as much from your mistakes in your business as you can from your successes. And knowing what to charge for and what not to charge for and what to keep open and what to keep closed, that's a big lesson. And, you know, who knows? Maybe I would be more known for true crime than I am the paranormal had I made that a free show because it would have been one of the first true crime shows. Uh, but I didn't. So, you know, I'm thankful I've got what I've got. Uh, but I think a lesson, if you're looking at this as a business, anytime you make a mistake like that, you can look back and say, ooh, I better not do that again. <laughs> well, and that's, and I think what you're saying is, you know, you don't know until you try. Yeah. You got to get into things. Um, you brought up the true story, your your different crime things. And I don't know if you have, because you haven't talked about Have you done anything on the Ted Binion murder? You know, that sounds familiar. Now, remember, Ooh. I did this show from the crime scene, which was from 2011 to 2019. So it's very possible, and I've forgotten it, because well, uh, people will say, do you remember that ghost story where the yeah. guy, you know, and it's like it was from 2013, and it's like, no, they, I don't remember. They blend, so blend, blend together. So I'll just, be, yeah. again, it's a, it's a perrupt tie. That's why I like it. Uh, the Binion's Horseshoe, which is a part of the original downtown Las Vegas. I think uh, I did Ted do this. Binion. I think I did, yeah, but go Ted ahead. Binion. No, Ted Binion, you know, he owned it. His family owned it. And he had a ranch out in Pahrump, Nevada, where, where I lived. And what happened is his girlfriend essentially murdered him. <laughs> And not allegedly, because she, she, she uh, you know, they, they were found guilty. But her and her boyfriend, or two, they came out to Pahrump. There's an old place called the Cotton Gin. And they dug up a huge amount of silver. And there was so much of it that the truck that they were putting on it basically couldn't haul it. And there was, a, I can't get into too many details because it's still, you know, out there. But the person that apprehended them basically had to leave and go into hiding and it was somebody that i knew really really well oh wow and uh so you know it's kind of one of those deals where, you know you're at school and you got a friend and two days later you're like where did our friend go and and you, you're not supposed to know <laughs> so i just like there's, there's so many weird and funky things out there and and i think with you covering them and like you're just putting it out there right and i tell Derek the same thing with us you know these podcast you know there aren't a lot of people that pull in joe rogan type numbers but if you're to say hey i'm going to be at the local auditorium and you have you know 750 people show up to hear you talk for two hours that's a lot of people yeah no that's the thing it's all uh to, to, compared to joe rogan my numbers are tiny compared to somebody just starting out my numbers are huge you know it's all a question of perspective. I'm very happy being like a middle-class success. I mean, I can make a living doing podcasts every day. I don't need a side job. I don't need, you know, I don't have to work at Walmart in evenings. Nothing wrong with that. But what I'm saying is, is that now 
I basically, the, the thing, the dirty little secret about that is I basically had to work two full-time jobs for four years, one being this. I would basically do my day job, come home, eat dinner, podcast, and rinse and repeat for four years. And that was tough. Uh, but the point is, is that I'm at a point now where I can do this full time. Is that Joe Rogan success? No. Is it a nice middle class life? Yes. I always want to do better. I always want to grow more, if nothing else, as kind of a cushion and a safeguard. I'd rather do as well as I can now in case 5, 10, 15 years down the road, something happens with podcasting, something happens with my health, something happens with my family. As a cushion, it's not like, oh, I'm not happy with my life. Now I want more and more and more. I want to be more successful so I can maintain what I have now. So I guess success is definitely relative. And to me, I'm a I'm a nice success. I'm a good success. Compare Joe Rogan would laugh. <laughs> so it all depends on your perspective, I guess. Yeah, and perspectives uh is something to to keep in mind. Uh, we, a lot of the people that we we uh, have listened to us are are starting their own type of businesses, whether it's online sales or, or that kind of thing, and it can be discouraging, especially at first when uh, you know you, you put a lot of heart and soul into things and you're not seeing those instant results. Yep. Um, you've talked about it. It was four years before you got to the place where you could even go full time uh, doing it. And, and I'm sure there's still months that are better than others. Oh, absolutely. Um, and some of the most disheartening things is, let's say, and this has happened to me, I've had advertisers I've had for years, and due to something that had nothing to do with you, uh, something with the economy or something with their business, they're saying, oh, we cancel our whole year of advertising. The rest, of the, we signed up for a year, but we're, cl- we're canceling the next six months. And it just comes like usually a Friday at five o'clock, you know, yeah. and it's just gone. But you've, you know, having been in radio for years and understanding how advertising works, for example, you come to expect it. It's like it doesn't count until it's run and paid for. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, if somebody was listening and, and maybe not necessarily even wanting to get in the podcast, but just following their dreams. Uh, what what are some beginner kind of advice that you you throw out to somebody that's saying I don't know I'm on the fence I got a steady job I got a steady paycheck you know you got the 401k and the healthcare yeah um, which let me tell you if there's something to be said for that because I got to tell you healthcare costs are immense they are for my family it's ridiculous I've got a wife and two kids now my oldest is now thank goodness she's got her own. Nice full-time job with good benefits just in the last few months. I was like, ah, that's nice. Uh, <laughs> well, get off the payroll. Uh, actually, I want to get on her insurance because it's better than <laughs> mine. But, but, but the point is, is that um, there's something to be said for that. So I'm a big fan of the side hustle because that's the way I did it. You know, I'm not a big fan unless you've got something built up. I think it's you run it as a side hustle until you can make that jump, especially if you've got family or commitments. If you're starting out and you want to eat ramen noodles and you can, you know, maybe you're living with mom and dad or whatever, hey, go for it. But, I mean, if you've got responsibilities and stuff, don't quit your day job tomorrow. Start it as a side hustle. One of the biggest things I'll say, continuously educate yourself and continuously improve. You can see right now I'm changing things around here, and I've been doing this 
for 17 years. We're bringing in more editors. We're doing some more outsourcing. I've got a great virtual assistant who's been with me for years. She's just fantastic, but I realize I need some more support. Always be willing to adapt, to change, but do so in a methodical, planned out way. And that's the same with this. You know, maybe you start out and you make an extra $100 a month. And then wherever this dream is, then you can get it up to $200 a month. And then, oh, my goodness, it's $1,000 a month. It's $2,000 a month. And all of a sudden you're saying, wait, wait a minute. You know, and I think in a way it kind of weeds it out because you know how they say you go to college and they have weed out classes? Well, this is kind of a weed out process. If you can do the side hustle and you're dedicated to it and you keep doing it and it keeps growing, that's kind of proof of concept, right? And it proves that you're dedicated to it and you'll do what needs to be done. So hard work, educating yourself, continuously improving. We're always trying to, you know, last year I bought a bunch of equipment. We moved into a different house. I got this room here sound treated. So it's like a studio now. That cost a lot of money. Continuous improvement. I want to be better in 2021 than I was in 2020. I want to be better in 22 and 23 than I was years ago. Always try to get better because there's always somebody out there who's trying to knock knock you out. <laughs> there's always somebody out there. That, you know, there's new paranormal podcasts every day. So why should somebody continue to listen to me? I want to make it like, well, I might switch out this show or that show, but Jim is on my playlist and he's not going anywhere. And I still want to remain relevant. New things like you guys with TikTok you talked about. So just keep improving, keep iterating, keep working, keep thinking. Well, you've obviously been doing that really well. And, you know, a lot of times, you know, you always care kind of what other people do. You're always, like I said, continually improving. Um, What did like your neighbors or your daughter's friends think about, you know, 2013, 14, when you say, my dad talks about aliens online and he makes money doing it. I think that a lot of people snicker behind their back. Uh, and, and I think the same for me too. I mean, I remember when I worked in radio and I told people, Hey, I'm going to do this full time. It's like, that's nice, Jim. That's nice. <laughs> but I've seen people and I don't mean this in a nasty way, but I've seen people that I've worked with at different jobs and see, I, here's the thing about working for yourself. And, 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 and there's some exceptions to this, but uh, because my dad was a steel worker, right? He worked for the same company for about 34, 35 years. So I came from that. You get a job, you rely on that job. You don't shift jobs. You don't change jobs. That's a job you get. It took me years to get out of that, that way of thinking. But uh, the, the point being is that that stuff, for the most part, unless you really hit the lottery, doesn't exist anymore. So any security you have in a job, more times than not, is an illusion. Because anytime someone else can 100% determine your fate, you're not in control. Uh, not to say that things couldn't happen here. You know, um, something can happen with anyone's health. Doesn't matter if you work for yourself, you work for somebody else. But I feel like I'd rather take a risk on myself. I'd rather take a chance on myself. I'd Because I know I'm not going to just on a whim fire myself or because, you know... I just think of, in radio, great personalities, like on-air personalities, people are way better on the mic than I'll ever be, that that basically got cut 
because some bean counter in some ivory tower was looking in a spreadsheet and said, oh, that that man, that woman, they make too much. They got to go. We got to get somebody in here cheap. They didn't do anything wrong. They just they were just too successful and made too much money. I don't want to ever be in that situation. Yeah, for sure. And uh, by working for yourself, you uh, have no one to blame but yourself. Which That's right. A, a positive I, or a negative. And I think being in sales all those years, honestly, helped me with that immensely because it was kind of the way it was. You know, and it was tough. I mean, watch Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, friends. But, uh, <laughs> but it, it kind of like taught you to like toughen you up a little bit and say, you know, whether this works or this doesn't work, it's kind of on me. So that's the attitude. When I have something that's successful, I'm like, great, that's great. Let's do it again. Let's have another success, figure out another way to or make it a bigger success. When I have something that's wrong, it's like it's kind of like a NFL kicker, right? You gotta you gotta build on the successes, but if you miss a kick, you can't go, Oh, I missed that kick. I can never do this again. Oh. You had to bring up the NFL. I yeah. was well, I'm a get... Browns fan, so let's oh, not even get started. Let's man. not get I started. I was going to ask you about the uh, the Cleveland Elf. It's been kind of uh, uh, in the news lately. I don't but know. I, I like the Elf. I like the Elf. He's got some attitude. I just, the team is just terrible. And, and the <laughs> thing was, is that supposedly, uh, you know, we have top talent. The defense was, they were saying, it's got to be a top five defense. It's going to be a top five defense. Well, there's a five in there, but there should be the bottom five. Um, <laughs> it's just, it seems like, uh, as great as our baseball team has been over the years and is consistent, even though they haven't won one, they've, they're always one of the best organizations in baseball, the Guardians. Um, the Browns are consistently one of the worst, which is a shame because when I was growing up, the Browns were a pretty good organization. And then uh, the owner, Art Modell, moved them to Baltimore, and the rest is putrid history. And uh, you know what? It's just almost like the names change, the coaches change, the players change, even the owners have changed. The results are the same. You just kind of, you talk about the paranormal, I kind of wonder if the Browns are cursed. Uh, so I was going to ask if that, if that elf was maybe uh, an, an, an ominous figure or maybe, maybe. Something uh, is, I think the owner there. is the ominous figure, but. Uh, yeah, that, that could be. <laughs> That's usually a most, most uh, franchises where it goes down. Yeah. We won't even get get into Utah jazz basketball and what Uh-oh. we got going out of here. Uh, but before we uh, let you go, we, we uh, you know, appreciate your time and, and everything. But I see we're, we're coming up close to uh, what we told you we'd be we'd be keeping you. Um, it is our Halloween episode, and Adam is here squeamish. So uh, if you have a scary story that you wouldn't mind sharing with us or our audience, I won't put you on the spot, but uh, it's what you do, right? I am. I'm going to tell you two, and they're both recent. One was on a recent episode, just this week's uh, episode of Campfire, and the other one happened to me last night. And this, yeah, and this is just weird. Um, My, uh, me and my daughters love horror movies, right? (sighs) But my wife hates them. So my youngest daughter was, uh, she's home. They have, I guess they have like a fall break, which I thought Thanksgiving was, but now they have a fall break. So she was here from uh, Ohio State uh, on break. So uh, I've always wanted to see the movie Hereditary. Have you guys seen that movie, Hereditary? I, I have not. My, my Watch it in the uh, dark. Watch it in the dark. We're almost the opposite. My wife likes the scary movies. And I, yeah. uh, well, it is a creepy, creepy movie. So anyway, yeah. and it deals with death and just just not good. Not good. Uh, so anyway, I was totally freaked out. And, I'm, you know, I'm 53. 
I can't believe I'm saying that, but I am 53. I was totally freaked out. So anyway, we we go to bed, and I'm sure you guys have had it. Oh, did I did I make sure the cars turned off? Did I did I lock the garage? Blah blah. So I'm like, and I'm in bed, and the whole house is dark, you know. And I'm like, no, I'm gonna go down. I'm gonna see. So I walk down, go to the garage. Everything's locked up fine. Get out. Go to the kitchen sink, wash my hands. And we have one of those little echo shows that shows like family pictures and stuff. So anyway, um, a picture came up that I'd never seen on there before. About three years ago, I'd gone to the, uh, it's out of town graveyard where my mom, my brother, and my uncle are buried. And my dad insisted that I take a picture with my iPhone. And I'm like, dad, that is morbid as hell. (laughs) And uh, he's like, no, take a picture. I'm like, okay. So anyway, on this Echo show, it shows all these family pictures. And I just saw this incredibly creepy movie. I'm washing my hands. And I'm freaked out. The house is totally dark. Nobody's up. Everybody's upstairs. And I look up and guess what's on the Echo show? The picture of those three tombstones. I'm like, oh, geez. God. I was just like, and it's so funny, the campfire man got scared. So it's not like supernatural, but who knows? But uh, but it was really weird. But um, a great story that we had on the show recently was, and it was one of those family stories, and I love these kind of stories. So um, this was about a woman whose um, grandmother or great-grandmother uh, was a widower. She had married a guy. This was right around the time of the Spanish flu. They had a kid, and the guy died, which was very common at that time. So she's a young woman. She's got a son. And a couple of years later, she meets this older man who adores her and the child. And long story short, they get married. So in back in the day, you know, and this wasn't like a wealthy family or anything from what I can understand— they had the wedding and the little the the little event after the little reception at the house and it's uh th- there's people at the house congratulating her congratulating the bride and they're talking all of a sudden uh, a man comes up to the back door and knocks and one of the people there one of the family goes and talks to him and said Hi, sir. Uh, you're here for the party. Come on in. He said, no, no, no. He said, I just have something I would like you to tell the bride. Uh, I, I need to talk to her. I need to talk to her. And he said, well, she said, well, she's attending all the guests. Why don't you come in? And he said, no, I can't come in. Can you have her come here and talk to me? And she said, well, we'll see what we can do. She's busy with the other folks here. So anyway, a few minutes later, he knocks on the door again. Same thing. Well, she's busy with the guests. She can't talk. Come on in. And you can talk to her. No, I can't come in. I can't come in. But can you can you bring her over here? I really need to talk to her. So she still doesn't come. Ten more minutes. Another knock on the door. Same guy. Can she come here? Can she come here now? I've got to go and... And they said, well, come on in. No, I can't come in. And he said, well, I'll tell you what. You just tell her this. Say, um, I wish you and your new husband the best and it's fantastic how he loves the child. And I, I think I approve and I, I, I wish all the whole family the best. 
So anyway, the woman thinks that's weird. So she goes and gets the bride. And uh, the bride comes back and the guy's gone. He said, where is he? He said, I don't know. He was here just a minute ago. So they look out the back door and it's like the plains, right? So it's flat. But there's a railroad track right in the back of the house. And you can see in all directions. And they look. And this is just a moment later. He's nowhere to be found. So the woman who got married says, well, what did he look like? And they gave her a very detailed description and she turned white as a sheet because the person they described was her late husband. Ooh. Yeah, that was my reaction. (laughs) (laughs) I I wonder what would have happened if she came to that door. I don't know. I don't know. But the thing is, is that there's other stories like this. And there's some stories where it's not a secondhand kind of thing. But I do believe that things like that can happen. Weird stuff can happen. Does it happen all the time? Is every story true? I don't know about that. But uh, I think that there is um, something where loved ones can come back, get messages across. Uh, I definitely think there's kind of like telepathy. You know, you'll hear a twin in one part of the country will get like a, a pain and then uh, the 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 other twin on the other side of the country has been in a bad car accident or something. I mean, I think there are these golden threads between loved ones and I think they can survive large distances and even sometimes death. Well, we like to call it the veil is thin. Um, I, I, I'll, I'll maybe off the air tell you a little bit more about it. I grew up, well, I didn't, when I was in college, I lived in a morgue. Oh and, man. Uh, now you would know. you know like there's a reason i don't like to dabble in that there are several instances of things that happened and uh so i'm i'm a believer i just don't like to think about it (laughs) yeah yeah well you know that's fair that's fair everybody has their comfort level and you lived it up close and uh, personal jim we appreciate your time we appreciate you coming back on uh happy spooky season to you uh, just before we go, do you want to give all of our, our listeners uh, places where they can, can find you and, and listen to your shows? Yeah, the easiest way to do it, uh, one of two ways, whatever podcast app you're on, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeart, Stitcher, whatever it is, type in Jim Harold, H-A-R-O-L-D, Jim Harold, and I'll pop up uh, my various shows. I usually recommend most people try the campfire first. That seems to resonate with most people if you like to hear real spooky stories from real people. Or, of course, you can go to my website at jimherold.com. That's J-I-M-H-A-R-O-L-D.com. Well, it's been a pleasure. Like I said, you, you've got everything going, and we're uh, we're way excited. We're we're, uh, we're excited for your success Thank you for sharing it with other people. I have the same sign kind of here in my office. It says bet on yourself. I've been self-employed for, you know, a huge portion, most of my life. I think the last time I had a job from somebody else, I was like 22. So, uh, so many opportunities and and thanks for sharing your wisdom. And uh, I'm glad that there's people like that spooky stuff because obviously it it pays the bills. Yes, uh, the cool thing about it is is that I'm genuinely interested in it, and it pays the bills. It's it's, it's great to do something you love, and it also, again, pays those bills. Well, Jim, we always close our show with this saying. We say there's two things in life that are for certain, 
and that would be death piles and taxes. Yeah, yeah, yeah.